Hello everyone and welcome to the Power of Music Thinking. My name is Christoph Zürn and this is the podcast for people with a musical heart and a wicked job. We're looking for stories, insights and tools from the big world of music to inspire leaders and followers to listen, tune, play and perform in whatever field you're operating. Today we're in München, Germany, and we're talking to Björn Eichstätt, managing partner and co-owner of Storymaker and publisher of the digital magazine JBIG, Japan Business in Germany. Björn takes us on a trip to Japan, from J-horror films, Japanese spirits, film music, audio innovations, sound aficionados, and the sound design of the Tokyo train station. And he shares the business habits and the harmony aspect in collaboration, the performance thinking of meetings in Japan, and the customer is God attitude. But let's start with a warning. This is by far the longest podcast in the power of music thinking history. So if you're prepared to listen to 30 minutes podcasts, you might want to pause and listen further the next day. All right, let's dive into it. Hello, Bjorn. Welcome to the Power of Music Thinking podcast. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> And funny enough, because we just talked uh, about in our native uh, language, so uh, both we are German. And, yes. But our podcast is in English. And so that's the funny part of it. So two Germans speaking English, that sounds nearly like a joke. But uh, <laughs> let's, let's uh, get right into it. Um, Björn, my first question, what was your first sonic experience or album or concert that had an impact on you? Oh my God. Um, so uh, the first, I think uh, one of the first um, albums that really got an impact on me was an album that probably the German uh, listeners know, but not the others. And that was an album by uh, a German singer songwriter called Reinhard May. Mm. Uh, and the album was called Menschenjunges. And uh, this was an album that my uh, parents listened to uh, at home. And uh, I really liked this uh, singer songwriter because he was singing about having a child and I was hmm. a child I was a child myself and so um, this really influenced me in a way like how adults look at children so like how hmm. maybe my parents look at me um, but to be honest like music wise it was not so interesting so I was more impressed by the words and the uh, like like this this change of perspective that looking at like how an adult might look at me and I think this is something that has influenced me later because um, like changing perspectives and looking at things from like other perspectives and somehow building bridges between things is, is now my job um, 
But the first album that music-wise had a, had a big uh, impact on me was uh, a 1972 recording by a band called Genesis, uh, <laughs> and the and the album was called Nursery Crime, mm. um, and and the song that I liked most on this album was called The Musical Box, and uh -huh. so um, I think I was like 12 years old when when I first heard this, and um, it actually came from the record collection of um, a neighbor of mine who was a um, chemistry student. Uh, and I sometimes visited him uh, in, in like our apartment block uh, and listened to his records. And this was actually the first record that he uh, <laughs> agreed to, to, to borrow to me um, mm. because this was his very valuable vinyl record collection. Uh, that actually later was destroyed by uh, the rabbit of his girlfriend. So they had a <laughs> rabbit and this rabbit was like running through their room and um, actually it was eating all, all of the records. Um, so not, not especially <laughs> the Genesis one. So there no, were, no, there were... <laughs> all of them. <laughs> so there was a, a lot of trust. Interesting that yes. you mentioned um, uh, Reinhard May and, and that you could yes. understand the words as a kid. And yes. with Genesis, it might not be the case that you understand the words. So I think that's something oh. interesting we can we can keep because um, in what you're doing at the moment, there is also a, a part of understanding or more, let's say, feeling or understanding the sound or what it sounds and then trying to understand. So Bjorn, yes. um, who are you what, and what do you do for a living so that we know what we what's the what's the context behind these uh, these words right so uh my name is bjorn bjorn eichstedt uh, i am living in munich germany uh i'm married i have an eight-year-old son uh who actually is just at the moment becoming a big fan of queen <laughs> so <laughs> and um Yes, I'm, I'm co-running a communications agency, like co-running and co-owning a communications agency called Storymaker with um, a little bit over 40 employees. Uh, and um, I am mainly working for technology companies uh, that want to communicate like their identity, like what they are doing, um, what is special about them, two different types of stakeholders. So to customers or to potential customers, to potential employees, to the public as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing that is like a little bit of my speciality is that um, I work a lot for Japanese companies um, and that has to do with a very special passion that I have about Japan. Yeah, so right. communication, Japan, um, these are topics that I'm into, these are topics that I'm passionate about. Wow. So that, that was also, by the way, how we get into contact, because I heard a podcast um, uh, of you for the, the Think Twice uh, podcast, and it was about Japan. It was, I think, more than one hour talk. <laughs> two, actually, it was two two hours. It's two hours. So, yes, but two I listened hours. to it in 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 in, in different uh, sets. 
And and I thought, wow, that's so interesting. And I just I just reached out to you. So let's talk. And and my background is so I have never been in Japan, but I I, I love Japan in in different ways or find it extremely interesting. And then we had a talk, maybe also nearly two hours. And at the very end, so we didn't touch music, but at the very end, there was a musical connection. So this that was the idea to 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 dive into it. So um, let's let's see. Maybe just first talk about your relation to Japan, and uh, and and then it would also be interesting to see if there's something uh, like a sound difference between. Germany, or for the or for the um, uh, the companies that you work, um, that that is an interesting fact that not many people know about. Um, so in the 1970s, there was a very close connection between the um, the German television, mainly the the second German television ZDF, uh, and uh, the Japanese anime production world. And there were a lot of co-productions of the second German national television and the Japanese animation world. And uh, actually the German television with their, um, with their projects that, that um, they, they ordered from the Japanese animation studios, Uh, somehow helped to make the Japanese animation world survive in the 1970s. Mm. Um, and so there was one television series, it was called Marco. Oh, never uh, heard of. <laughs> uh, you probably know Heidi. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And, and so there's a, there was a series of maybe like 20 to 30 different series Um that, that uh, the Japanese were producing for German television. Uh, and one of them was Heidi and uh, another was Marco. And Marco was the story of a little boy. Um, and this little boy, um, he uh, was living in Italy and uh, they were living in Italy in, in the times of crisis and uh, so there was a lot of unemployment and like his, his father was unemployed and they were really poor. And so the mother decided um, to move to Argentina as a, uh, like a migration worker. And wow, uh, what a story. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Germany, so you, Japan, <laughs> Italy, yes. Argentina. Gina. I still, yes. I still try to follow you. <laughs> yes. And so, and so, and, Already in the first episode, like the mother is leaving and uh, the, the little boy is really um, like feeling miserable. And then after two or three episodes, he decides to follow his mother to Argentina and search her in Argentina. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really tragic story. And uh, around the time when the series was aired, actually my own parents were separating. Mm. And, and so this, this was really, really resonating with me. And like this type of um, like animation, like Japanese animation since then is somehow connected with me on a very like emotional level because it, it was something that really connected with my situation and where I felt like somebody, like the storyteller who was telling this, um, he, he somehow understood my situation. Mm. Um, and hey, so- Hey, by the way, just one question. Oh yeah, um, sure. 
because um, it was dubbed in German, right? So because yes. talking about Japanese uh, anime, yes, yes, yes. but in Germany we dubbed everything, and yes. um, this wasn't a problem for anime, but for other films sometimes that's annoying. Okay. Yes. Good. Yeah, yeah. So of course it was dubbed in German. I didn't know at the time it was Japanese. Yeah. Uh, but somehow it had an aesthetical influence uh, on me. And actually today I'm owning like an animation cell from like original animation cell from this series. I have it at home. It's hanging on my wall. Uh, and so um, that, that was like a first thing, like very deep in my past. And then when I was about 12 years old, um, 11, 12 years old, and then uh, the Nintendo Entertainment System came to you to Europe, like the first uh, console with replaceable cartridges. Uh, and so I think I was the first kid in my class who, who was owning one. And so I became a really big fan of Super Mario, of Zelda, uh, and, mm. and like, all these very classical games. And And then at that time, um, in Germany, we had the first uh, like video game magazines. And there was one called Powerplay. Uh, and they, uh, and I was always buying that at the, uh, um, at the newsstand. And one, in one uh, issue, they had an, a very long article about the Tokyo Game Show. Hmm. Uh, and so... In this article, for the first time, I saw Japanese characters because they were showing screenshots. And I, the, the younger of our listeners probably don't remember that. Actually, the word screenshot comes from like people really sitting in front of TVs with a camera, taking pictures of the screen. <laughs> so literally. The, literally. Yeah. And that's why still today, if you do a screenshot, for example, on your Mac, you still have this like click noise of a camera. Um, because originally it was taken with a camera and so that a lot of the sound design, so to talk about sound design comes from this like analog approach of uh, taking pictures of screens. And so there, I, for the first time, I saw Japanese characters because they were showing pictures of the early uh, like stages of games that then later, like years later, often were brought to Europe or to America. Uh, and so there I became somehow interested. And that was the first time when I got the idea that somehow somewhere is this like miraculous place called Japan mm -hmm. where, where they do all this great stuff and where they produce these wonderful games that, that really, yeah, they, they really resonated with me. And it, it was very interesting that many years later I, I Uh, read a book by the um, by the designer who did the uh, Super Mario and Zelda games, uh, where he explained that uh, actually he made these games for uh, children of today, like children in Tokyo, etc., that that do not have that much nature around them, um, and that that a lot of these games were actually trying to replicate his own feelings when he was strolling around in the countryside when he was a kid, oh, okay. uh, which, which which I thought was was really interesting because it actually it brought people to stay at home and it brought children <laughs> to stay at home, not to go outside. So uh, counterproductive <laughs> approach. 
Yeah, but it, but it somehow was creating a, um, you, you know, something like a, a meta outside in a way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A, a meta version of the outside. Uh, and it, it was creating this like parallel world that I had also experienced, for example, when I was listening to uh, at the same time, like early progressive rock albums by band like bands like Genesis. Mm. So for me, like these these video games and the worlds they created, they were very similar in a way to like what the music was creating for me. It was something that was not the actual sometimes boring reality that that you feel when you are like a a kid or a teenager but they opened up like this this space and um so yeah that that was when i first connected with japan and then now it's it's a little quicker (laughs) the um then when i was a student i became really interested in japanese films because of a friend of mine who was um like uh working at Philips in, actually in, in Eindhoven in, oh, yeah. in Holland, um, a software a software engineer mm-hmm. who's still, still working at Philips. Oh. Um, and um, so he, when I visited him during my university days, he showed me some Japanese films and they really interested me a lot. Brian, what uh, films were these? Oh, okay. It started with, at the time there was... Um, a trend that was coming from Japan to California first. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the so-called J-horror films. Japanese oh, J-horror, okay. J-horror, Japanese horror films. And the most famous of these is a, is a movie called uh, Ringu, The Ring, that was later remade by Hollywood with the actress uh, Naomi Watts. Um, but actually wasn't very good. Uh, the remake, the original was really good. Uh, and um, another very famous film that now has been made into a Netflix series uh, was called Juon. Uh, mm. And that was also remade in the US w- with the title The Grudge. Uh, and, and, and these films were, they were very different horror films to what we had in the West. So they were, um, it, it was not about blood. It was not about shock effects, mm-hmm. but it was more about um, something creepy mm-hmm. cr- crawling through the television set. Ah, so a, some kind way. of tension, some kind of suspense, yes. not yes, knowing and, what it is. Yes. And it was a lot about, um, um, let's say, like ghosts. So in Japan, you call this yokai. Uh, it's, it's more like translated as spirits. So mm-hmm. in, in Japan, like one of the basic religions of the country um, is uh, the so-called uh, Shinto religion. And in this mm-hmm. Shinto religion, there's uh, like a lot of things uh, in nature, uh, somehow our spirits are alive. There's a lot of like this ghostly figures and and um, demons and and um, so there, there's also a lot of Japanese, let's say like fairy tales mm-hmm. um, that have these all these like specific characters that mm. that 
are like invisible to the human eye, but that, that are existing. And so a lot of these very classical Japanese uh, fairy tale approaches and, and also religious approaches, they, they are always present in uh, like recent and, and, and contemporary films and mm -hmm. music and everywhere. And so um, this really interested me and, and at this feeling it was creating. Yeah. Um, yeah really interested me and also these films had really really interesting sound design yeah uh, and I, I can imagine yes maybe one one question in between because um i didn't know the the, the j-horror films but in in the 80s uh, akira kurosawa um, I, i don't know if you i think you know sure. him yes, and uh, and tore takimitsu i think he okay. um, famous composer he was doing let's say film scores and what yes. what impressed me was this very um aesthetical way of making movies and although i'm um anti-militaristic <laughs> uh, in the way i was watching these war films of what was it the 1600s of um, japanese with an aesthetic that was appealing and i think the sound was was really a part to you you might not hear it but later you would recall it from hey there was more than just the pictures yes absolutely and and I mean, uh, Takemitsu is a, is a really good example of the uh, of like Japanese sound aesthetics, be because what what he often did was uh, to to combine, let's say, like Western classical music approaches with mm -hmm. traditional Japanese instrumentation and traditional Japanese sounds, uh, and uh, actually, I have a <laughs> I don't know like. Japanese 50 CD box of like the complete collection of Toru Takemitsu soundtrack recordings at home. Oh, really? Uh, wow. Yes. So, so, so I, and he did, he did a lot of very, very interesting things. Um, it, I, I would say what he did in soundtracks is a, a little bit comparable to what uh, Ennio Morricone did mm -hmm. in, in, in Italy. Uh, so, so actually, what what you know, um, or when you see the uh, Akira Kurosawa films, is uh, this is more like the the more mainstream work of of his soundtrack yep. career. Yep. So it, it's a little bit like what what you can compare in Ennio Morricone's work. Uh, with like this Sergio Leone soundtracks and yes, like with the spaghetti the, westerns. Yes, spaghetti yeah. western, but also like Once Upon a Time in America and like yeah. this stuff. Yeah. Uh, right. While you know that uh, Ennio Morricone also did the like very experimental work, uh, like first in the free improvisation space, but also in films. So when he did, for example, his uh, like Jalo soundtrack recordings. Um, Uh, for the films, like early films of, of Dario Argento in, mm -hmm. in Italy, for example, which also is from the horror film space, <laughs> actually. <laughs> um, so, and, and this is same for uh, Toru Takemitsu. So he did a lot of very, very experimental underground film yeah. soundtracks in, in the 1960s and 70s, especially. 
Um, and he's a, con a contemporary com uh, composer, so he was on the big yes. festivals all over yes. uh, all over the world. And for yes. and what I didn't know last time, uh, I saw also a score. It was also a graphical score from Takemitsu, and that was very yes. interesting because it was also visually very appealing. Not just let's say the dots, the notes on the score, but it was like like a piece of art, and also uh, also an interesting uh, yes. aspect. Yes. Yes. So, so um, to, to come back to um, like the Japanese films, so actually um, I, I would say I, I was always already as a kid a, a very audio and visual person. So I was interested in, uh, in film as well as in sound and, and like video game for me always was a, a, a great combination of that. So, so I, I loved to sing uh, as a kid. I loved to sing the Super Mario soundtrack. So this is um, like I I always loved, for example, like the, the the soundtracks of the Japanese video games. And this later came back to me with the Japanese films. And so I started i would say like in the late 1990s I, uh, when i was still in university i started to really become addicted when it came to japanese films so i literally watched hundreds of japanese films and in 2000 or 2001 there was um, a festival starting in germany called the nippon connection um it in frankfurt it's nowadays actually the biggest japanese film festival outside of japan um, and I started to travel there every year, like for a week and like watch, I don't know, five, six, seven <laughs> Japanese films every day. And so were they original or were they yes. uh, with subtitles? With subtitles. Ah, with, so, so, yes. so that's interesting. Then the first time you get different sounds, sounds that you don't understand. And sometimes in, in this podcast, the, that's also a theme to um, the, the difference between instrumental and uh, music with, with voice, but also yes. the variation of voice that you understand or that you don't understand. Yes, uh, but since, since, since I was always a sound person, um, to me, actually, this like Japanese language that that was always more like an instrument that I was listening to, uh, and uh, so so actually, I remember the first time I many years later I actually came to Japan uh, with my wife on our honeymoon. Actually, <laughs> that, that was my first trip to Japan. Um, uh, I. I came to Tokyo and it was really interesting because a lot of people were telling me, okay, Tokyo, this is like this urban jungle and it's like concrete and it's very uh, aggressive in a way. And um, so it's not really like a nice place. And to me, literally, it was an urban jungle. And so my feeling was when I heard all these people like speak and I didn't understand a lot uh, because I actually didn't speak the language. Um, I, it, for me, it really was like in the jungle. So it was more mm -hmm. like, like birds singing and like sounds coming from everywhere. Uh, and uh, maybe, maybe that's interesting um, 
because you you're planning um, a trip to Japan now over 10 days yes. and yeah. maybe just to to share with the listener um, imagine you you are there imagine you know take a place that you that you like and if you close your eyes and you you be you are at that place what do you hear what does it sound and, and and how is it different to to what you hear let's say in munich okay uh so i am at yorakshu station yorakshu station in like very close to the um imperial palace uh, uh where the japanese emperor is living or like residing um and uh, Yorakusho station is a station of the uh, so-called Yamanote line. The Yamanote line is a train line uh, that is almost circular. And it's like this, the circular train line uh, across Tokyo. So most people in Tokyo that move inside Tokyo during the day for business meetings, etc., they most of the time they use the Yamanote ring line. Um, okay, and Yorakusho station is um, one of the very early stations that, that I have experienced on my first Japan trips like 12 years ago. Um, and the interesting thing when it comes to sounds is that in Japan, every station, every train station has its own soundtrack. Uh, and uh, What does it mean? They have their own melody. Every station has their own melody. That means if the, a train is approaching the station, then inside the train, you hear the melody of the station that you will approach. And if oh, you... Oh, hang on. This means people don't say this is Yuraxo uh, station, no, uh, no, next that... station, but you already hear a sound. And no, then, they... you know... Oh, Oh, hang on that is no they, like they this? yeah so so actually they say this but to so they say we are approaching your actual station but to emphasize this um there's a melody and it's not a sound it's a melody it's like and then you know okay this is this station <laughs> and 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 every station has its own small little like soundtrack <laughs> And it's also that, on the other hand, if you if you stand on the platform of the station, every every train line also has its own melody. So you wow. know <laughs> you know from the sound that um, this and this train line is now approaching. Um, and and here comes an interesting connection with the Japanese music scene. Um, so in Japan. Uh, if you want to honor um, like a musician or a producer or a composer for their life work, for example, then one of the biggest honors they get is that they are allowed to compose a new train station sound for the train station of their city of origin. Wow. So they, they, they come from this like <laughs> specific place and then like the big honor is the mayor is coming and say like now as an honor you are allowed to produce our new station sound. And um, 
Yeah, and so, and so uh, the question, like, how is it different? How does it sound different? Is uh, Tokyo is, and especially Tokyo, I mean, also the, the countryside, but in, in the countryside, you more hear like <laughs> insects and nature sounds, etc., which which are totally um, different to, to Germany, but um, especially Tokyo is a city of sound. So uh, in, in Tokyo, you a lot of things are actually emphasized by sound. So visual signals are emphasized by sound. So for example, traffic lights. So um, traffic lights, if, if they turn green or in, in as the Japanese say, turn blue actually the japanese say the the traffic light is blue no. mm. although from our perception it's green but in like how they look at it it's blue <laughs> and um what's so the story it, behind this because they don't have a word for green i don't think so or no 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 i think originally <laughs> they originally in japan they were blue but mm -hmm. um they They were there was something like a global standard uh, adoption mm. or something, and then <laughs> oh, they keep they still, the word, but they change they the color. The <laughs> yes, and so um, so if if you stand at the traffic light, for example, then uh, there's a lot of sound signals that like tell you, okay, uh, now it will be green soon, and then you get like beep, 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 beep. And then, for example, if you if you go then over the street, and then like the sound gets faster, and so the like the accelerating sound tells you that soon it will be red again. So mm. it's like and this is this like very typical in Japan that you have this at at train stations, or for example, that's another thing um, in. 2015, no, 16, um, I had a family trip to Japan. So this was like a holiday trip. Um, and we were having a, um, a, a, um, a flight inside the country, um, like a local flight. And um, so we were going through the, through the gate where you have to like put your ticket. Mm -hmm. And so for, um, like, I was going through the gate, putting my ticket and put the QR code there. And it just did like, did it. And like my wife was going there, was like, did it. Then when my son was coming, like he was three years old at the time. He put it, his ticket and was like, and, and he was like, oh my God. And so the thing was just like, The airline had programmed like a melody sound for children tickets in their like ticket counter thing. And, and I was like, oh my, oh my God, this is like, this is amazing. And, and you have so much of this stuff where, um, where like the, the attention to detail is, is just incredible. And um, this is something that I, had already realized before I was in Japan through watching all these movies that like something is going on there on on all levels on like um, on on a sound level on a visual level on so Japan is really like a country where 
in a musical sense, everything is composed and and everything is defined. It's it's uh, th there's not many things that are there by accident, but like mm. some somebody like cre created them, and it doesn't matter if it's it's if it's food or if it sounds at train stations or it's it's just intentional. Like a lot of things are just totally intentional and you see that like okay there was actually there was somebody in a company in an airline company who made the decision that somebody should take the effort to like program an individual sound when children present their tickets i mean you have to imagine this this is just unbelievable like, unbelievable yes. that <laughs> someone would think about this um, it also raises the question if you get all these, let's say, functional sounds, yes, because th these sounds have a function or these melodies have a function. This is that train. You are now approaching this station. Um, you are an adult, and I am a kid. So, 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 so there is a, a lot of functional sounds. So, my question would be: How do they go together? Is this, mm, let's say, um, experienced? As some kind of cacophony or um, um, because sometimes um, when we go to the visual part you would say oh wow this is really so so much going on or at um, uh, uh, some 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 sometime an englishman uh, looking at a, a very um, uh, colored shirt that i had he said to me oh you have a very loud shirt and so that's my question so is it visually so enriching that you might get tired? And, and is it also oral uh, uh, enriching? And, an, and another question to answer would be, um, now these days, a lot of young people or also elder people, they just wear headphones. How does this work? Okay. Um, let me think where I start. Um, so I think when it comes to the question of if this is overwhelming or not, um, I would say it depends on the person that perceives the information. <laughs> so, so I would say when I, when I first came to Japan, I first felt like, oh my God, oh, this is like, wow. Um, and then... Uh, so initially, it's just like sound everywhere, and and uh, then of course, the more experienced you get by like listening to this, um, and uh, the more educated you get um, about all this, the the more you can somehow like decipher it and see like the different layers. And I mean, it's like listening to music. Uh, if you if you only know, I don't know, like um, Rolling Stones three-minute rock songs that have three chords. Um, and then you are confronted with uh, Karl-Heinz Stockhausen <laughs> or John Zorn or um, Toru Takemitsu. Um, then this might be just too much for you. Um, and, and because you didn't take all the steps in between that you need to understand this. Um, and so, so I would say it can initially be overwhelming, but of course it's like 
everything that is music. I, I, I mean, I would say this, it's just music. Um, and uh, the, the more you have listened to it and the deeper you got into it, the more you can decipher it, understand mm -hmm. it. Uh, and yeah, so in the, in the end, I would say when, when I come there now or when I come there in 15 days, hopefully everything works out. Um, or when I came there before Corona um, on a very frequent level, um, I felt very good in this environment. It, it <laughs> was very, yeah, I, actually it felt was at very, home. yes, it, yeah, it felt at home and uh, it was very calming, but um, uh, it's, yeah. So, so I, I would say, um, is it a cacophony? Uh, depends. Depends, absolutely it depends on who you are <laughs> um, by the way interesting for me is uh, you you just named Karl-Heinz Stockhausen and also yes. John Soren which both of them were absolutely Japan fans and uh, yes. John Soren he lived he lived in in in, in Japan and Karl-Heinz Stockhausen he was I think 1970 at uh, Osaka was the world uh, exhibition and he yes. did there one of his most spectacular buildings so that people could lie on a, on a platform and there was music under them and around them. So the whole idea of sound projection and technology helping us to hear things that we have never heard, that was really, um, yeah, there, there he was uh, really, really busy with. So in, interesting. Um, and, and, and another link with music, I love to read um, Haruki Murakami and most of the books, they, they have something with, with, with music. And uh, I understood that, that he also had a, a, a jazz bar or a small bar where you sometimes would go into uh, and you only hear, can hear music without drinking something. Is this something that you have experienced? Is this still, still happening? I haven't, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> so, so uh, I I heard about this, and um, uh, I mean jazz. If you say jazz, um, Japanese are like really jazz fans. So to to have a jazz bar in Japan is not as unusual as it is in Europe, for example. Uh, I think I think that is one important thing, and. Um, so the, um, I mean, there's, there's, in Japan, there's a lot of these concepts where uh, people have like bars or places where you go and where you have a, um, like interesting experiences and like sound experience or where you have very special uh, approaches um, uh, to entertainment. Let, let me put it that way. So, so probably you heard about the, the animal cafes in, in Japan. Uh, so it started at many years ago with the, with the cat cafes, but then it turned into owl. So the next big trend was owl cafes. Oh, really? Uh, yes. And then the, like the latest trend was hedgehog cafes. <laughs> and, 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 and so the concept is really strange. So, so you go there and like you pay um an entrance fee so actually mm -hmm. it's it's a cafe with an entrance fee that that's mm -hmm. already already strange to us and and the the entrance 
uh, fee that gives you the right to stay there for an hour, for example. And, and so you go there, you get a cup of coffee that usually doesn't taste very good. And um, you are allowed to play with the cats or the owls. Or and what the about hedgehog. the hedgehogs? <laughs> or the hedgehogs. Or the hedgehogs. You, you are allowed to play with them and like do a little like Gucci Gucci with them. Uh, and so that's Japanese entertainment. And, and so, some of this stuff really resonates with me. The Animal Cafe, not so much. That was a little disappointing. So, of course, I, I, I try all this stuff when, I, when I'm in Japan. Uh, to the Jazz Cafe and uh, Murakami, he, he does a lot of things in Japan. And he, he just opened like a very big Murakami library. And so, so there's, um, there's a lot of things. And, and I think he did not only have this like jazz cafe, but he also had a like jazz, um, um, like some, some kind of jazz program on the, on the mm. Japanese radio. Yeah. Um, and I think there's also like a Murakami favorite jazz tunes playlist on yeah. spotify and there are a lot of like uh, them yes and and he wrote a book uh, or, or he made a book which is um about uh, zeiji osaba the the yes. conductor and that's a, that, i don't know if you know the book i read it and i thought oh that's really really for freaks so they they talk about three to four different versions of the brahm the first brahms uh, sinfonia so very interesting. And in one of his books, in 1Q84, the Janacek Sinfonetta plays a very, very special role. So when uh, when the, the protagonist heard that um, that symphony or that Sinfonetta, then the time changed. So, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really interesting. I never heard comparable uh, uh, sound um, uh, Yeah, aficionado things from 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 other literature. Is this only Murakami, or are there? Is this maybe special for for Japan? I mean, Japan is full of music freaks, uh, and um, so so I've I've never seen or experienced um, uh, such a big density of people. Uh, that are somehow educated in music. So, so most of the people that I meet um, when I'm on business trips in Japan somehow play an instrument. With with mm. most with most people, you can really talk about music. They they know something about music. So, I would say the the quality of music education in Japan seems to be very high. Um, And I mean, you also see it when, when you look at, um, for example, classical orchestras in Europe, etc. You always have Japanese in them. Um, so the, the, the music education seems to be very good. But actually, I don't know much about like how music education in Japanese schools, for example, works. Um, but this, this is something I realized. And it's also, for example, that some of the very best record stores I have experienced in my life are in Tokyo. So mm. what um, makes them special? Well, for example, there's there's a um, there's a record store chain called Disc Union. Uh, and and Disc Union in Japan, uh, for example, in Tokyo, they have, I don't know, like 10 different stores. 
And the, these are all like specialized on certain genres. So, mm. uh, so for example, there's the Disc Union store in uh, the Shinjuku district. They are specialized for progressive rock. So, so you you simply get everything there. Like you get every, uh, let's say, like Italian prog rock album that was ever released on CD. You get it there. You go there and get it. And um, and then there's like another one that is specialized on Japanese traditional music, and another one is specialized on soundtracks. And so it's those are simply the 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 shops that where like my feeling was um, the, the the deepness of like experience in a certain field is just like mind blowing. And uh, another thing is also that the Japanese uh, collector scene is is just amazing. I mean, when the when the internet started in like the mid 90s, like the, the internet for you and me started in the 1990s and the first record, uh, like secondhand record sellers went online in like the second part of the 1990s. I remember at the time I was buying uh, a lot of uh, albums from uh, uh, a secondhand record shop in Canada. Um, mm. and, and so they always sent like big boxes of records over the ocean and um, so I, I once had a like phone conversation with them and was talking a little bit about their business. And they always told me like 80% 80, 80 of the records that we sell go to Japan. Um, and uh, I, I also, uh, in my 20s, I had a lot of contact with like professional record dealers. A lot of them were telling me like, actually the, the Japanese are buying everything. And um, I think that that's like one thing. So, so you really have a, a collector scene. Uh, and the other important thing is you really have a technology scene. Mm -hmm. So, so one thing is you have the, like a hi-fi equipment scene. So you have a lot of Japanese, really good uh, hi-fi equipment companies. The other thing is you have a lot of um, uh, instrument companies. Uh, so yeah. you, so and and that is like traditional instruments as well as uh, like modern instruments like in in the field of like keyboards and synthesizers etc you have like yamaha and you you have casio and you also have a lot of japanese companies that most people don't know are japanese because they don't have very japanese names like roland or cork yep. like you would not initially think this is Japanese because Japanese sounds like Yamaha and stuff like that, and Toyota, but not like Cork or Roland. Like, why should that be Japanese? But it is. And but but so, Yamaha has a nice logo. Yeah, you you know what it is? There are three um, uh, tuning forks. Yeah, yeah. So if if you ever have seen it, so, oh yeah, oh these are that's a very musical uh, company. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and and so so you have very high quality musical instruments, and you have uh, like educated collector scene, and you have like hi-fi equipment companies. So um, so sound is something that is very present, and of course you you have a lot of like 
also recent developments. I, I was just today listening to a new, uh, like, um, non-Japanese like new pop album that is just celebrated as like being like the new big thing mm. uh, and and when I listen to what this, is it oh it's the I, I'm very bad with names you you would not think I'm bad with names but so it's uh, the Charlie uh, XCX uh, album it's like big hit all around the world uh, the album is called Crash um, and so I would say it's like mainstream pop. It's maybe, mm -hmm. like, but it seems like the impact it has right now is what the impact of Lady Gaga was maybe like 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but if you listen to this, it's like you think, okay, this is like Japan, Japanese pop music 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so it seems to be like the latest thing, but it sounds like Japan 20 years ago. And, and uh, so you had a lot of, developments like Vocaloid, for example, like the mo modified vocal stuff. Yeah. This, I mean, this is an invention by Yamaha. Uh, and so it initially started in Japanese pop music in the early 2000s that these kind of like vocal modifications were yeah. used. Auto-tune. Auto-tune. I mean, this is all Japanese. And, um, and the other thing is that like the use of video game sounds in pop music, for example, this is also something that that started many, many years ago in, in Japan. And now more and more becomes mainstream in the West, but it's just like, I always say that like Japan is so often like 20 years ahead of everybody mm. else. And, and, and that is an interesting um, um, phenomenon that uh, the, the, the way that Japan is ahead um, and the, the time that Japan is ahead is so big that a lot of people actually think Japan is behind. Um, <laughs> oh, that, that's interesting. <laughs> yes, because it's like a circle. <laughs> yeah, because because that. Uh, so you often think that um, a country like, for example, the the U.S. is ahead because you see in a certain time frame you see the adoption of what they are doing. So, so, so you say like, okay, this was big in the U.S. last year, and now it's big here, and so you mm. see this. So you see this process, uh, but for Japan, you often don't see it because it's just like, what what happens here now is it happened in Japan twenty years ago, and so the the time frame is just too long to understand this. And I just read uh, in in um, the media that in Berlin. Uh, they just now opened the first capsule hotel. Mm, right. so a hotel where I have these yeah, like right. cap yeah, yeah. capsules. And this was somehow celebrated as like very contemporary and new and fresh <laughs> and something. This concept was invented in 1978 in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is like 44 years ago. And um, so a lot of these things happen where you think like somehow I know this. I, mm. I've, I've seen this before. This, this must come from somewhere in Japan. And so, so this is something that I, I find so fascinating. And um, there's, um, there's this book by, um, I, I completely changed the topic now. There, there's this book by, by Erich von Däniken. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, his first book, I don't know the English title, but the German title was Erinnerungen an die Zukunft. Mm 
Uh, remembrance uh, of the future. Of the future, whatever. The future. So yeah, yeah, and and like memories of the future, actually, um, in, oh. in a way. Uh, and um, but I don't know the English name. Uh, I think the English name is Chariots of the Gods, which is totally different. Yeah. Um, but actually, I can recommend this the film that was made after this because it has very great music by Peter Thomas, the German film composer. Um, so back to this book. And so, I mean, in this book, um, this is about, uh, I mean, it's typically Erich von Däniken. It's, uh, like how in like ancient artifacts, uh, in like archeology, span you can find like hints that thousands of years ago, aliens were visiting the earth. So, and actually, mm, it's a little bit similar in Japan. So in actually in Japanese, in the Japanese past, you often find hints towards the contemporary trends in Europe or in America, et cetera. Like, so if you go like deeper in, into like Japanese history and um, like recent history, you, you, you see a lot of things that you now see here. Mm -hmm. Um, and you mentioned before when we were like briefly discussing Karl-Heinz Stockhausen, <laughs> yeah, you were mentioning the Osaka Expo 1970. And yep. um, the, the, um, this is, for example, the Osaka Expo is really fascinating because, um, so one thing is in like non-Japanese language, there's not a lot of material about the Expo 70. Um, so it's very difficult, for example, to find original like uh, film footage, for example, of, of the Expo 70. Uh, it's, it's also really difficult to find information on the internet that goes really deep into the different like pavilions and the mm -hmm. different, like what was really going on there. Um, but of course, if you research a little bit more then then you, you find uh, information. Um, and at this expo, there were obviously a lot of things happening that, that were just very futuristic. So for example, um, the like running sushi system that was first introduced at the Osaka expo, 1970. Wow. And when, <laughs> when did we have it here in the West? 10 years ago, 15 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> maybe 20 but like yeah. so 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 and and this was actually uh an, an idea by like a sushi chef in in osaka who was uh in his day job working at a company that was doing um like production systems for factories mm. yeah. yeah and 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 he was just thinking okay like how can i use this like conveyor belt thing yeah right um maybe I, I can use this at a factory to bring like a part from A to B. So maybe I can use this also in a restaurant if I don't have waiters and, or if I want to save on waiters um, uh, to deliver food to the people sitting at the tables. And um, since he was in the evening uh, working at a sushi restaurant, he was saying, okay, yeah. um, let's try this. 
Um, and also different sounds. <laughs> so, you, so if you sit there, you you hear the the conveyor belt, and and and, and yes. uh, you don't hear an, a waiter asking you things. I would like to segue back <clears throat> to what we what we talked before. So, we talked about the the sensibility and maybe also sensitivity of um, of sound in, in in Japan because this is let's say the power of music thinking. Um, my hypothesis is that the way you listen is the way you you act and the way you behave in different things. So my question would be, um, can you make any analogy between um, the the way sound is used in in Japan to to their business? Yes, um, I can. Uh, so <laughs> I was not prepared for, prepared for this question, but I think I can answer it. Um, so yes, I can when it comes to listening. Uh, so listening is a very important part of Japanese business. Uh, and this, so there's different reasons for that. Like one reason is, um, Japan is a group culture. Uh, and in this group culture, uh, like the, the major goal is um, to create harmony among the group. To create harmony among the group. Um, and so to create harmony, um, the one important thing is to not allow dissonance. Mm. Um, and so uh, what Japanese do is um, before a performance in, in uh, business, we call this a business meeting. Um, before the performance, there's uh, something called nemawashi. And nemawashi means that uh, people create harmony within the orchestra, in, in this case, the, the team, um, before the actual performance. And, mm. so, and, so, so like an active harmonizer to bring yes. everybody in the right mood. Yes. yes. So that means, for example, in, in Europe or in, in America, um, like a business meeting, that is something where like you go, you propose an idea, and then you have an exchange of opinion and like people are fighting and they they have a discussion and they like they they do not agree or they agree sometimes they agree they like so it's it's more like a it's more like a ring like a boxing ring so, so somehow yeah you and in the end you get some kind of result like either like one person is dead <laughs> or, or uh, like the an idea is accepted, et cetera. So in Japan, this is not the case. In Japan, the, the business meeting is a performance and is a performance uh, uh, of, of which the outcome before the meeting is already clear. So it's mm -hmm. totally clear what kind of piece they are playing. It's totally clear how the piece sounds. Uh, so it's like, you can totally expect what is happening there. It's not a free improvised concert. It's like a, a Beethoven symphony. You, you know the piece. And to 
to to make this happen, uh, all people that are involved before have their own like individual conversations. So their own like um, like test sessions, practice sessions. They talk to each other. They they practice this instrument and that instrument. Um, and then they sit there and you do the performance. Everything works as discussed and everybody's happy. Um, and so this means for non-Japanese, this is often very confusing because they get to this meeting and they expect this like spectacle, spectacle in the ring. Uh, while what they get is something that they feel is very boring because it just feels like, okay, they, they are all sitting there, nobody is discussing, they are just listening, nodding, because they actually, they know what's going on. <laughs> so they just say, like, yes, yes, yes. And so this is like one example um, that uh, the, like this process of listening, listening to opinions, etc. this in Japan is, is a lot prolonged, but since a lot of the, the non-Japanese foreign business travelers, they, they do not experience this process. And because of that, they think the Japanese do not discuss, but actually they discuss a lot more than the mm. non-Japanese, but this all happens not in the context that we think it should happen in. And, That's and, interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. It's also when, when I talk about, you know, rehearsal or demoing or prototyping or which word you want to use in, let's say, design thinking or in music thinking, it's something like, so there's actually a lot of work going on around, let's say, the performance. And you know that in, in, in music thinking, I'm using listen, tune, play and perform as the four phases. So yes. just bringing it up because it's so it's so obvious um, talking about if you really want to perform, you have to listen all the time. So that's yes. why listening goes through all the others. But there's also a tuning part and they overlap. If it would be, let's say, four different steps, it wouldn't make any, any sense. Um, and or that's sometimes we do this in the West. We do an analysis and then then we come up with conclusions and we show it to people and they often like don't like it. So here these these things are really are are overlapping. So that that yes. absolutely resonates a lot with me. Yes. Then then the so okay. So that's the meeting. Then there's another thing, and that is in general listening to the customer is very important so so in in the west we sometimes say like the customer is king and we sometimes we are not really sure if we really mean this um, while in japan there's a saying that is the customer is god so oh, wow the, the customer is not a king but the customer is god and uh, this means um, it's like what japanese always do is they ask themselves, okay, like what will the customer think about this? Uh, like, will this work for the customer? Uh, uh, and so they they often, they are very good at like listening, you could say, but you could also say changing the perspective, which somehow has to do with listening. Um, and they, um, for example, um, Oh, you probably know the English word. I don't know the English word. There's a German word called Leitsystem. Um, yeah, <laughs> wayfinding systems. Yeah, like way, wayfinding systems. So I've never experienced something like in Japan that actually in a, like the, the 
big one of the biggest train stations in the world, Shinjuku Station in, in Tokyo, where I think per day, three million passengers are getting through this train station. Um, I've never lost my way. And it's as a like, foreigner. As a foreigner. Okay. And, yeah. and this is really, really amazing because uh, what, what, what in Japan really works is that so, I don't know how they do it, to be honest, but it, it must be that they somehow make a plan and then that like 50 people like walk this way and if somebody if one person loses the way then they change the system because it's not good enough wow. uh, yes the, and, so in service design terms this would be actually a little bit the way how service design works um but um yeah but i don't know how they do this or manage this on on that level that would be interesting well one thing is really effort effort taking the effort uh is is extremely important and I've experienced that this in projects with Japanese clients uh, that what you said before like practicing is something that is really 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 important um, so for example if you have an event with the Japanese company and then you have like a, a plan uh, like one thing is the information that you get is really exact it's like an orchestra score so uh, you have this event and it says, okay, okay, first thing is like the speech by the Japanese consul. This speech will start at 10.01 and it will last until 10.04. <laughs> then at 10.05, this next person comes. Then this person ends at 10.09 and from 10.10, like from 10.10 to 10.15, there's going to be like the musical part. And then, so it's it's very precise. Um, and then what you realize is when you saw this, you say like, okay, how the hell are they going to do this without getting delayed? And the answer is practicing. So two days before you get to the venue and then you play the whole thing. And then they have people like simulating the speakers. They have the speaking strips saying like, okay. And then they say, ah, okay, this was like, we tried it three times, it was still too long. So we have to change the schedule. But then on the day they will have like this exact schedule and to say like, oh, oh my God, this is like, it's like an orchestra piece. So it's actually like something where we say, oh my God, it's just a business event. For them, it's like an orchestra performance. It's like and it's even like a co-creation because um, um, actually it sounds like they co-create how it's made and then they make the score based on how they co-created the outcome. Yes, you could say that. And, yes. and that's that's interesting talking about Stockhausen. Maybe the last time today, Stockhausen made for his. Uh, uh, his uh, hymnen, he didn't have a score because it was an electronic uh, electronic piece. But later he transcribed a lot of things and he called it Mitlese Partitur. So it's only the score that you can read for your pleasure and to, to read what's happening in the sound. So that sounds a little bit like the, um, the co-created part and, uh, and then having a, a perfect score that um, fits 100% to the performance. Yeah, you you could say that. So yes, that so that that is um, also something that that I've experienced. So like this, practicing, listening, experiencing, 
uh, how things are working is is very important. And and there's like one thing, and I don't know if it has to do with music, but maybe is uh, there there is a Japanese way of listening that they call reading the air. Wow. And 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 that means. Um, so Japanese are very, so most, of course, it's it's not like a hundred percent thing, but most Japanese are very, very aware of, um, of, mm, of like, dis it's again dissonance. They, they are very aware of dissonance that might appear in a different person um based on something so if you for example if you get the job as a communications agency that we are to do let's say like a company presentation for the japanese company um then in in europe you would have like one person i don't know like the marketing lead for example who will make the decision about this presentation and the the process will be relatively quick usually and then at one point this person would say okay make the decision but then afterwards um like when the presentation is spreading inside the company there will be departments that will say oh but like what we do is not really reflected in this presentation and there will be like this other and they will say oh no 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 this uh Oh, I don't see myself in this. And mm -hmm. so, okay. And in Japanese companies, all of this, most of the time is anticipated. So people are sitting there seeing this presentation and then they think of the people they work with. They think of like the, like the neighbor section in the company. They think of this person who is responsible for the international market. They think of this person, this person, this person, this person, and they talk to them. And they do not only um, listen to their reaction, uh, but they also listen to their non-reaction. So wow. they, they listen to they listen to sound, but they also listen to silence. And so they they just say like, okay, I, I did this and this, and the person did not react enthusiastic. Uh, there's a, a mistake in our presentation. Otherwise, this person would be enthusiastic, for example. Wow. Uh, and, and so it, it sometimes takes months until you have a final product, like a final and, and product means like communication tool. And the thing is then afterwards, nobody ever discusses this anymore. So, so like this, this like listening process and, and anticipating and reading the air and, and um, perf making something perfect and practicing it etc this takes very long and for europeans you are sometimes really frustrated and think like this is, takes too long it's just like oh my god why don't they rush this a little bit more but then you realize 
what you get afterwards is something that everybody feels fine with everybody and and so um yes so if if you say like okay they they and and we came from this um they they obviously listen because they have a lot of these sounds um yes they do and this is also something that happens in business a lot uh, listening feeling sense sensing might be a, a better word um sensing some things but that also means that time is different in japan um because the the goal is different the the goal is not um getting things done but the goal is creating harmony mm. and that's and that is very different and 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 that means that uh something i had to learn when working with japanese companies is to to understand that the concept of time is just different and that long-term thinking and uh something that like works with everybody is is more important than uh, checking checking your to-do item on on your list quickly yeah. um, in, in, yes. in that in that sense it's also very <clears throat> let's say the, the approach or maybe also an answer of our times because we are we are wasting the planet um, because we are only thinking about short-term quick fixes that we have to do where we can make money with, or that's let's say that's the 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 little bit the Western standard. So in that yeah, sense, yeah, I, I wanted to say it depends a little bit on who we are. Yeah, um, and um, so if we is humankind, then I would say okay, the Japanese approach is part of that. So so it's maybe not we, um, but but yes, which. At the same time, doesn't mean that of that there's no pollution in Japan, etc. Of course, there's pollution in Japan. It's just that um, the, the the general thinking and and um, philosophy behind a lot of things is is just different. It's just very different. And um, of course, that also sometimes creates things that are not good for the planet. Um, But actually, my feeling is that the awareness for this is a lot higher in Japan. Mm -hmm. So they know that something is not good. Um, and they, um, they think about this deeply. But the, the actions that are taken are not as fast and as uh, like action driven, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. but, but um, they only happen when uh, something, uh, like when, when, when like the, the bigger group has come to a conclusion. Mm -hmm. um, and I can give you one example that for me was really fascinating. It was, I don't know, 2012, 2013, and I was um, traveling to Japan and At the time, in European hotels, you you sometimes had Wi-Fi. 
you, you sometimes had free Wi-Fi, you sometimes had Wi-Fi that you had to pay for, you sometimes had working Wi-Fi, you sometimes did not have Wi-Fi, you sometimes had broken down Wi-Fi, you sometimes had Wi-Fi that cost 20 euro a day but didn't work. So, so it was, a, but it felt like we have Wi-Fi in the hotel. In Japan, they didn't have Wi-Fi in the hotel. And I was, okay, like, why don't they have, they are very advanced country, why don't they have Wi-Fi in the hotel? And um, so I returned like some months later, no Wi-Fi in the hotel. And I think, okay, what's going on here? So I returned again, like three months later, suddenly, like all of the hotels I was visiting had free Wi-Fi and was perfectly, perfectly working. And I was thinking like, okay, what the hell? Like, how did this happen? Like in three months, everywhere I go. And so then I did like a little bit of research and was talking to people and they said to me, yeah, well, you know, like all the representatives of the hotels and of the Japanese Hotel Association and of the Japanese Tourism Association, et cetera, they, are, they came together for the last three years and discussed the Wi-Fi issue. And they were discussing like how to perfectly realize this like completely across Japan and like how to kickstart this and how to make sure that like from the one day to the next day, this is going to work. Um, and so they had a lot of discussions, a lot of things, that, and suddenly, like, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> so and, there was a lot of prototyping or demoing before yes. they finally yes. um, give yes. it to the client. And yes. in the West, we just said, oh, we have Wi-Fi, but everybody experienced yes. it in a different way or didn't work. Yes. And, and th this is because, again, the, the, the listening issue. So they really take the customer seriously. And, and if you do something that is annoying the customer, that's like the worst thing you can do. Because as I said, the customer is God. And so that means annoying God. Like what, how can you do that? <laughs> and so um, th this is something that, that you experience a lot that even with like smaller things, um, let's say like the train is delayed a little bit, et cetera. That's like the cliche, but, but it w works with other things as well, is that um, like if the train is delayed by 10 minutes or 15 minutes or something, then like the next day, uh, like the board of the Japanese train station, they do a press conference and they say sorry to the population of Japan. <laughs> and they bow very deeply and say like we are very sorry we completely fucked up the train was delayed 15 minutes um and so this this is just something that they don't want to do because it's as, as you might know in in east uh, east asia like you have this concept of losing your face mm, so actually you don't want to lose your face in front of the customer and and that means like everybody does everything they can do to to just like prototype and check and test and test and test before uh, something is brought to the public. And that means um, that, uh, yeah, it, it sometimes just takes longer. And so it doesn't feel like the Western way of acting. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so it often feels like things are standing still in a way, but then they miraculously mm. 
move. And, nice. um, and, and this is something that, that you see a lot. And another thing is that um, they also see it very holistically. Uh, so it's not only that things are moving like in this, in this direction, like in the forward dimension, but they are also changing in the like, like down and up dimensions in a way or like younger and older people, for example. Uh, so when it comes to payment, uh, you know, this Western and sometimes also Chinese discussions where it says like, okay, uh, like mobile payment with your phone, that's like the one thing that you need to have. And if there's no mobile payment and you cannot pay with Apple Pay or WeChat Pay or whatever, then this is like something that is behind. And advanced is that everything's digital, for example. Um, in Japan, the idea is different. The idea is advanced is if you have something that everybody is happy with. Mm. And everybody means a 10-year-old kid, a 25-year-old, but it also means like a 90-year-old grandmother. If all of these people are happy with the payment system, then it's good. If and something is digital is not a value but the value is people are happy with it. Harmony is created. And so the, and that means the, the so-called disruptive innovation approach that we know in the West, but also China is we destroy the old, create something digital, disrupt the system and frustrate a lot of people um, because they cannot, pay the way they want to pay anymore. Um, but we have innovation. Thank yeah. God. <laughs> we have what innovation. It's, what it's yeah. worth, right. Yes. And so in, in Japan, it's that, uh, so I once visited like a, a payment company and like what they did is they worked like years on like a, pay, a payment terminal where you simply can pay with everything. So you can pay with cash and you can put the cash in the payment terminal and it's like counted automatically and like the like how much money it is is presented on a screen. Uh, but you can also pay with your credit card. You can also pay with your bank card. You can pay with your European credit card. You can pay with your Chinese credit card. You can pay with your American credit card and with your Japanese credit card. But you can also pay with Apple Pay, with WeChat Pay, with Alipay, <laughs> with everything pay, and you can even pay with Bitcoin. Okay, and so and then they say, okay, this is our new payment terminal. Took 10 years to develop, but here it is, and everybody's happy with that. <laughs> and, so, and so, so this is something where I would say, um, yeah, wow, uh, this, this is... This is a very, very, very different way of approaching things, and and um, so in in terms of like yeah, thinking thinking of this uh, in 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 music is is really like so like the confrontation of the like Western approach and this Japanese approach is is like confrontation of i don't know like he heavy metal and and bach or something <laughs> it's just like it's it's just totally different approaches and absolutely both can be beautiful in a way yeah. but it's it's totally different 
in, in, in that mm. sense, let's say heavy metal and on the other side, let's say shakuhachi that is uh, still still yeah. played in, in, in Japan. So Bjorn, thank you very much for all these insights and thank you for sharing with us, let's say that, that harmony concept, the concept of the listen to sound and silence. So not just listening what's there, but also listening to what's not there. And I like very much that um, performance aspect. So the performance of um, a business meeting or the performance of being a train, being in time. And, um, and also that long-term and also short-term thinking. So that in long-term that you really prepare things and you think it through. We, we talked about the Osaka 1970 <clears throat> uh, things and at a, at a certain moment to implement it or not just to implement it, to, to offer it to, to, to the client at a moment with, we, all, we, we already can, can visualize the bow <clears throat> that you do for, for your client and you give it and you know that the client wants it. So yes. thank you very much for for all these for all these insights and also taking taking us to to Tokyo and maybe we do another one another very long <laughs> uh, session but only with sounds only with the sounds of Tokyo the sounds of standing in the in the in the in the station of the Uraxo station and all these sounds so I, I I hope that we can find these sounds and maybe I can also put them in the in the podcast. So thank you very much, Bjorn, for being on The Power of Music. Thinking. Yeah, thank you very much. It was, was big fun. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate this because listening is one of the top leadership skills and I feel honored about this. It is my mission to find, create and share inspirations for meaningful collaboration based on music analogies. If you want to support this, please subscribe to the podcast Give us a rating or write a review on iTunes or Spotify. And more inspirations can be found on musicthinking.com. We have a blog and you can download the Music Thinking Framework. And finally, I would love to hear your feedback. And if you need help with a business challenge, please reach out to me via email podcast at musicthinking.com. <laughs>